interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin. River Radio has arrived. Beautiful. Tell your friends. But don't forget to wear your mask. That's right. <laughs> now to continue with the tape recording. You're listening to The Sports Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. This is the, the, the sports show. Good evening and welcome to the first ever episode of Extra Time, right here on River Radio. I'm your host, Ed Tarleton, and over the next hour, I'll be leading the discussion as we unpack sports stories from across the Thames Valley and beyond. Coming up on tonight's show, we talk to the members of Henley Cricket Club to discuss their long-awaited return to the crease. You know, we talk about this idea of redefining club cricket so that we you know, want people to turn up at the game and look at it and think, that's a professional game of cricket. Elsewhere, we catch up with Maidenhead United striker Danilo Orsi, who cites the influence of manager Alan Devonshire as one of the key factors behind his impressive form this season. You look at what he's done as a manager, he's had success. And the fact of when Maidenhead pulled up, one of the big selling points for me was going to play under someone like him. This year really has helped me uh, develop and grow as a player. And we visit Kingfisher Table Tennis Club to chat about their youth development programme and the challenges faced in the wake of lockdown. It's great to be back, but table tennis is all about repetition, repetition, repetition. So if we don't keep on playing, then the players will lose their game and then they end up leaving the sports. All that and more to come on tonight's edition of Extra Time. Yes, welcome along to this, our first ever show, and we're very excited to be with you for the next hour. There is indeed lots to look forward to this evening, but before that, let's meet our panel, who will be with us each week to chat all things sport. We'll start with Maria Sapsinos, a Commonwealth Games medalist in table tennis. She has done work with the BBC and has recently concluded a course at City University in broadcast journalism. Maria, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with sport. How did you first get into it? Hi, Ed. It's uh, great to be on the show. Um, long time coming, but really excited to be here. Um, I started my relationship with sport probably at a very young age. Um, family, very football mad, I would say, but sport mad in general, mm. tennis, all the, all the general sports. Um, but then I really started playing about 10, 11, played some county tennis, county football. But then probably about the age, same age, 10, 11, picked up the, the sport of table tennis at my local primary school. And ever since then, yeah, just played table tennis for the rest of, rest of my time. Um, as you said, winning a, um, a Commonwealth bronze medal out in the 2018 Gold Coast, which was amazing. And yeah, continuing to represent England in the sport of table tennis. What I find really interesting about this is that you were saying to me just off air beforehand that your family football mad, but didn't really know too much about table tennis as a sport. So to achieve what you have without having had that familial background in a sport that so many of us get into a certain strand of sport with is, is phenomenal. Yeah, is is crazy. I think no one in my family, no one played table tennis and all of a sudden I was, they were taking me up on weekends to play two-star tournaments, four-star tournaments all around the UK. And yeah, just very, very grateful that they did that for me. Obviously not coming from a background of table tennis at all. But I think I think the sporting background is probably the same across all families. It doesn't matter what sport you play. If you're a sporting family, you're going to be competitive and you're going to want to win. Well, you certainly are. And it's great to have you here with us. Before we, we move around, just tell me, sporting idol, who who was it? 
So this was a difficult one, but I think uh, I think I've gone with um, Dennis Bergkamp uh, from his time, probably <laughs> when um, he played at Arsenal. Probably the only player that I ever truly followed um, in sport. Again, nothing to do with table tennis. Actually, probably at that time I didn't even know what table tennis was. Um, but no, I followed his career quite a lot when he was at Arsenal, and I'm a quarter Dutch, and he's a Dutch football player, so kind of makes sense. And yeah. Well, I certainly didn't expect you to say that in light of, as we say, what you've achieved in, in the Commonwealth Games and in table tennis. But if you're going to pick an idol outside of sport, then he's a very good one to choose, no doubt. Next up is Will Taylor, a recent graduate from UCFB at Wembley. He started a successful podcast there called Under the Arch and was also involved as a producer at Love Sport before moving on to Fix Radio, where he twins his work with us here at River Radio. Will, delighted to have you on board. Now, you're from Devon originally, aren't you? Where I gather you developed quite the affection for the mighty Talkie United. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Um, as, as Maria mentioned, it's an absolute delight to be here. It certainly has been a long time coming that we've been putting the work in for it, so it's really good to be here. Yeah, love Talkie United from uh, Devon originally, God's country, as we call it, but, you know, it's very debatable anyway. Um, yeah, quite, quite a tough act to follow, Maria, as well. I've, I've got zero Commonwealth bronze medals to my name, so, you know, it's an interesting one. But, um, but yeah, I, relationship with sport, I've loved sport as, as long as I can remember. It's always been something that's been in my blood, in my family, sort of of genes and all that sort of stuff so um yeah it's it's something I, I follow very acutely not just just not just football not just any specific sport I've got a broad love of all sports so yeah that's uh, that's me and that's the thing about sport isn't it? it it seems that to be honest irrespective of whether you have a main sport or not you take something like the Olympics obviously coming up a little bit later this year and and to be quite honest most people who are sports fans can watch any sport played well. I remember back in 2012, I found myself sitting downstairs nine o'clock in the morning eating cereal, engrossed in the archery. Is it, is it the same for yourself that you can turn on the TV and if sport is on, you're drawn to it? 100%. I think, I think that's why um, years like this year, despite the fact it's obviously been delayed due to everything that's gone on, just make it so special. You've got things like the Olympics, you've got things like the European Championships, so much to look forward to that no matter what, there's something to, to put on. And I think, I think the good thing about sport is, certainly for me and I know a lot of other people, is it acts as a bit of an escape as well, which is really nice. You know, you just want to forget about everything for an hour, stick the archery on and you will, because even if you don't know what's going on, it certainly will take your mind off things. So no, I, that's, that's the thing I love about sport. And I think uh, that's, that's why we're doing this, because because we all have a, an immense love of it. Great stuff. And before we move on, can I just trouble you for your sporting idol? In light of what you just said, is it Maria? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, well, I mean, you put me on the spot a little bit there. With the, No, uh, it's uh, unfortunately not Maria. Sorry. But um, maybe if it had been silver medal, it might have been different. But, you know. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a, um, I'm just going to leave now. Gosh. First show I'm on. They say never the year, right? <laughs> Uh, no, it's um, Zinedine Zidane, it would have to be, just from watching the 2006 World Cup growing up. Um, obviously not the head, but I don't, I do, you know, I don't build my uh, sort of character over that. It's more the way he played football, um, sort of the footballer, I would say, that made me fall in love with the game and sport as a whole. I think everything he did was just magic, wasn't it? So yeah, Zidane for me, I think. Yeah, absolutely. He was a footballing genius. And last but by no means least is our esteemed producer, Sam Sethi. Sam is also the managing director of the station and played rugby for Marlow for 14 years. Sam, lovely to see you. Tell us, what does sport mean to you? Uh, it means a long distant memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sadly, uh, not as young as the three of you. Uh, but no, sport's been my life. It's been the way I've met friends. It's the people that I can now go down the high street and see. And we'll, we'll recall stories of matches and we'll, we'll talk about nights out. It, it's that camaraderie. Sport, yes, is very important for physical uh, ability but also the camaraderie, the teamwork, the friendship that you take away with sport. I don't think there's anything like it. 
And if you look across the Thames Valley, it is synonymous with sports. So it, it made perfect sense to us to, to bring a sports show into River Radio. Absolutely. And it's been crying out for one. I mean, there are so many sports that aren't covered and so many sports that we should be covering because there are varieties of sports that I've got. You know, my daughter played net, plays netball and it's a sport that I'd never got into. I mean, just, you know, being a male, it was not my sport. But I promise you, once you get into it, a bit like the archery, but not quite, <laughs> not quite the same, um, you suddenly realise that it's a very skillful, very fast-moving game. It's not like the St Trinian's game that you think it is in 1960 with, you know, little women just throwing a ball around. No, it's, a, it's like handball. It's super fast, super professional. Uh, and they are committed sports people. And, but it doesn't get the coverage that it deserves. And, and there are many sports like that. I mean, table tennis being another one, right? That I think, you know, we, we, sport is saturated by football and rugby and the mainstream. Um, and even though in the Thames Valley we don't have rugby clubs covered by even the local papers properly, all the, all the football and even women's sports. So, look, I'm really excited for this show. Thank you very much, the three of you, for taking it on. Uh, I can't wait to see what you guys bring to the game, but it's going to be amazing. And just quickly, before we move on, sporting hero. Uh, there's only one. King Kenny, um, Sir King Kenny, um, Lord King Kenny, whatever he's going to be in the future. Uh, yeah. Well, you are, of course, a Liverpool fan, aren't you? And we'll probably get into that a little bit <laughs> later on because you tell me that there is quite an interesting story behind it, which I'm certainly very keen to hear. That's your panel here this evening. And so without further ado, let's get into the sport. And following the postponement of all action below county level during the pandemic, cricket is once again being played at grassroots level. The easing of restrictions has seen the home counties Premier League begin a new season. And our reporter Ben Green has been talking to the players and staff at reigning champions Henley about their return to the pitch. Henley have set the standard in local cricket, boasting a variety of teams and a huge number of members. The club has an impressive setup, a big responsibility for director of cricket Stuart Davison. We run three competitive Saturday sides for so the home counties Premier League. That's our that's our first teams league, and then we've got two sides that run in the Thames Valley Cricket League. We run a, a Sunday friendly side, and we just started T20 competitive competition midweek. In terms of the junior system, we've got hundreds and hundreds of kids all the way through from tiny tots, of, you know, under fives, all the way through to 19s. So we played the, the ECB junior competition for, for under 19s. And then we've got a, a vibrant and, and growing uh, lady section. We're, we're trying to integrate some of those some of those members, some of those players into, into the men's senior Saturday side as well. But really my my remit is to bring through that next crop of players into the senior side and then run a competitive and enjoyable senior side of the club. With an established pathway that delivers ongoing player development, the system employed at Henley has yielded considerable success. But despite securing the last three home counties Premier League titles, club captain Mikey Roberts insists that the focus is not solely on winning. We haven't been sort of like, oh, we've got to win the league this year and that's it. It's been, then we put more value in you know, how we're looking to play and like the stamp that I think the team leaves on fixtures. And so, you know, we talk about this idea of redefining club cricket so that we, you know, want people to turn up at the game and look at it and think that's a professional game of cricket. That's what's happening there. Like numerous other amateur sports, cricket struggled immensely throughout the pandemic with several teams relying on members for financial support. Martin Phillips, Chairman of the Home Counties Premier League explains some of the issues faced. Following that sort of path back into 
playing some cricket has been uh, quite tricky, but it's amazing how adaptable you become and how quite quickly clubs have taken it on board, adapted, players get used to, to the sanitization breaks every six overs. They've got used to not using change rooms, bringing their own food. So I think cricket has adapted to it really well. As a league, we didn't get any funding uh, because basically we were, we were shut down. We don't have any overheads as such unless we're operating. So yeah, I think that has been difficult. And then changing rooms, we're only just being allowed to open changing rooms. And obviously we have, with the bar facilities, we have all the restrictions that, that the pubs and restaurants have. But the game itself is being played pretty normally now, which is great. One of a host of many amateur teams that encountered problems, Henley were reliant on members to help them through the pandemic. One of those was Mikey Roberts. Indeed, when the scale of the trouble the club could face became apparent, Stuart Davison recalls how the club captain devised a way of raising thousands of pounds to help. At the start of last summer, when it became obvious that we'd be severely affected in terms of regatta and other elements that we depend on financially, Michael Roberts crowdfunded to run a marathon around the cricket club grounds. It was one of the hottest days of the year and a pretty phenomenal effort by him. Um, we ended up raising over £6,000 through that and all our club members really, really got together behind the effort um, and, su- and supported it both financially and, cur- and kind of encouragement on the day. As games are now beginning to return, Roberts can again focus on events taking place on the pitch. And with the team performing well, he certainly has high hopes for the season. You know, the ultimate ambition, again, is you know, at the end of the year, if we feel like the team's got better and we're continuing to you know try and redefine the standards then then i think that's a good year but you know again like if we do that most weeks you know you'd like to think you'd be in a you know position to be you know to be winning the league there but you know we just we just got to see it's a long it's a long season you know injuries come about it's all very well being in a good position now you know top of the league and all this but it doesn't really it doesn't really mean that much to be honest with you taking each week as it comes ben and we'll just see where that gets us i think so with the prospect of normality seemingly on the horizon and a full schedule of matches to come. Director of Cricket Stuart Davison can finally look ahead once more. I think the future is definitely bright for the club. We've got a young, talented and enthusiastic playing group and strong leadership in all the various teams and then at committee level and also in the junior side of the club. All three Saturday teams sit atop their respective leagues currently and it's been great seeing the young players go from strength to strength in performances. More than anything else, though, I'm, I'm positive that things are going to go in the right direction, given how much we've been tested over the last 14 months and the sense of optimism and togetherness in the club. Well, I'm delighted to say that our roving reporter, Ben Green, now joins us on the line. Ben, in a question I feel like I must have asked about a thousand times over the last 18 months, first and foremost, can you hear me? Yes, I can, Ed. How are you? You're right. Excellent. Great stuff. Ben, great package. Really enjoyed listening to that. It certainly seemed as though the the guys that you were speaking to absolutely are just loving the fact that they're back on the pitch once again. Was that that the impression you got? Yeah, I mean, look, can I firstly say they're all really nice guys to talk to. um, And I think they speak for all of us when, you know, aside from the actual playing side of sport, the social element to it. Um, Mikey was talking about the fact they like to go for a beer after the game and, and you know, the band's lay out on the field. And I think 
when sports stopped, that was what people missed most, was that social element. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Sam, you've got a question as well that we were just discussing off air. Yeah, hi, Ben. Um, how important is it for local sports clubs to have a solid support network around them? And when scenarios like this pandemic occur? Yeah, I mean, I think it's vital. I've seen local sports clubs near me that don't have that support network. And, you know, little things just like, cutting the wicket, cutting the outfield, these things cost money and, and people don't actually realise this. Um, so having people like Mikey Roberts who, you know, help raise thousands of pounds, that can be crucial to, a, to an amateur team like Henley uh, that maybe don't necessarily have the sponsors or the big corporations backing them. Yeah, absolutely was, wasn't it? And it was a phenomenal achievement by him. I mean, what would you say, Maria, because you were engaged in that one as well, weren't you? Yeah, hi, hi, Ben. Really great package there. And I, I just wanted to ask, what are the main reasons for Henley's recent success? Um, well, I think it's, it's too obvious to say they've got the best players. I think at that level, everyone's got good players. I think I, I spoke to the vice-captain, Tom Nugent, and he was telling me that, you know, the first team particularly have been playing together for 10 to 12 years. And so there's a clear ethos there, a clear family spirit at the club. And I think that's crucial. I think another reason would be the youth setup. We didn't necessarily touch on it as much in the package, but I'm sure we'll go into some more detail about it. But there's a clear pathway for the youth team uh, and players that are good enough, you know, ages 14 to 16 to play adult cricket, maybe in the second team, the third team. And at that level, to have a conveyor belt of young talent, I think that's crucial because players do come and go on quite a frequent basis. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ben, I think. And, and obviously the thing about the pandemic is that it's seen people get involved and pick up a lot of different different things, be it sports or arts or creative things. But but also some people have, have kind of let things go. I'd, I'd spoken to, to uh, the di- director of cricket b- before and he had said that, yeah, across the board, some teams had lost players. But when you look at Henley's track record in the Home Counties Premier League, they've won it eight times. They've won it for the last three seasons prior to the postponement due to coronavirus. And it just seems like they're, you know, they're so glad, as we said, to, to be back on the pitch again. Will, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, hi, Ben, mate. Um, it was just, I, I thought that was really interesting, the way that the way that you went about that, the story that was told throughout. It's certainly, um, you know, it's, it's a great story, certainly like, like you mentioned, Ed, to win the league that many times in such a short space of time is incredible. Just curious, mate, if you wanted to get involved with the club then, um, how, how could you go about that? Yeah, well, pretty easy. Go to the website, henrycareerclub.co.uk. There's a phone number there. Uh, it'll also tell you the address for the home ground, which, you know, they play on Saturdays, the first team, 11 o'clock meet. Um, and like I said, the, the guys are great there. The DOC, Stuart Davidson, he's always willing. There's plenty of different teams. There's not just the first team. There's three adult teams. There's a vast amount of youth teams and a women's team. So there's literally a team for everyone and anyone of any level. Um, so I'd say if you live near the Henley area I'd thoroughly recommend uh, Henley Root Club as a club to get involved in Thank you so much Ben yeah it sounds like a really friendly club and a, and a vast array of teams they seem to be convening as well big responsibility out there but judging by the uh, the number of titles they have won in recent years it certainly seems to be working the model that they have right that concludes our cricket and it's time to move on We st- There we go. On to football now. And a fortnight ago, Maidenhead United confirmed a respectable 13th place finished in the National League. One of the only clubs in the division not to be full-time professionals, their impressive campaign was spearheaded by top goalscorer Danilo Orsi. We spoke to the striker last week and asked him for his thoughts on the season. 
started off with a target of reaching 50 points this year, which we did. Um, we were in a good position in terms of playoff runs and and we felt like we were in it right up until probably the last seven or eight games. We had a series of season-ending injuries towards the end. We had a few red cards which went against us. Uh, so I think everything kind of, the, the fixture pile up as well, it all came on top of us in one go. And we couldn't quite get it over the line into the playoffs. But for a club like Maidenhead to have the season we had, um, I think everyone can look at it and think it was a good success. Definitely. I mean, on a personal note as well, it was a great year for you after Alan Devonshire brought you up from the National League South, grabbing 19 goals in 39 games this season. What do you put a record like that down to? Yeah, I think they've they've brought me in in the summer and said, just work hard, you're going to get your chance and, and you'll score goals here. So I just kind of had in the back of my mind, just keep working hard, uh, trying to create partnerships with other boys on, on the team. So obviously at the end of the day, it's not just me putting the ball in the back of the net. It needs to get to me to begin with. So I just felt like we had a really good team, team spirit and team connection. And obviously playing with people like Josh Coley and Dan Sparks, obviously been three attackers. Um, we had a good connection. We kind of knew each other, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch, travelling in every day. So we kind of got that link up as well. But looking further back down the pitch, got people like George Wells at left back. He was fantastic. He was picking me out from back there. And when you've got them players around you, you know they're going to create chances. So you just got to be ready for when they uh, fall your way, hopefully. The players you mentioned obviously play a huge part in that. But what about the manager? I mean, what's it like to play for a manager who's got so much experience in the game? Dev's playing career was phenomenal. And you look at what he's done as a manager, he's had success. And the fact of when Maidenhead called up, one of the big selling points for me was going to play under someone like him. Not only on the pitch, but off the pitch, he's a great guy. And this year really has helped me uh, develop and grow as a player. So for that, I'm grateful and I like to think I repaid the faith he showed in me with the uh, goals I scored this year. I think we went into each game with a kind of no fear mentality. It wasn't, this is little old maidenhead, we're here to get rolled over type thing. We went in there, the team as a whole wanted to get the three points and I think the coaching staff backed us to go out there and play a certain way to, to make sure we do. Moving forward though, it's great for the club, great for the fans I think because it shows maidenhead are taking a step closer. To, to pushing on up the league and they're no longer a team which is just going to be fighting for survival. They're a team which can push on to hopefully bigger and better things. Absolutely. And it's been a great, great season for the fans, like you mentioned. It's just a shame, obviously, that they haven't been able to to watch you in action, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. We had the uh, the one game against Halifax at the end where we had the fans back in for the first time all season and they were fantastic. It would have been great to, to play there this season with a full full capacity but they were fantastic even though I think it was only 900 of them uh, but again going to somewhere like Maiden it's got the, the stadium's got a bit of character other teams don't necessarily like coming there because they think they deserve better or they're playing at bigger newer stadiums but when they come to our place they're in for a game and we try to make it as much of a fortress as possible Looking ahead to next year then I mean how much do the fans have to be positive about? I think the fans have got a lot to look forward to not only next year but the years to come Obviously, with the talk of the new ground, um, it's going to open up new avenues for the club going forward. Uh, the club, in terms of playing, they're recruiting fantastic players. Again, like you saw their recruitment last year, brought nine players in. I think it was in the end and, and we had a good season. So I think from a fan's point of view, it's, it's exciting times to be involved with the club and definitely something to look forward to going forward. 
Well, there we have it then. Fantastic to get Danilo Orsi on the show. Will, you were the one who conducted that interview and we'll talk Maidenhead more broadly in a minute, but let's just talk Danilo for a second because what a, what a great season he's had. What was it, 19 goals in, in 38 games? I mean, that's a fantastic record at, at any level. It is, and I, th- I think one thing that everyone needs to take into consideration is this isn't a team that comfortably won the title. This isn't even a team that got in the playoffs. This is a team that finished mid-table, that didn't have a lot of the ball in a lot of the games that they played due to play, playing stronger opposition but he still managed to knock 19 goals in. and I mean it is a very good attacking sort of lineup they got there with um, Josh Coley and Dan Sparks it's a really really strong front three but you've still got to put the ball in the back of the net and Danilo I think is is clearly clearly very 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 talented at that he was talented talented at it when he was in the National League South Devonshire took a bit of a gamble on him it can be said but it, it paid dividends I mean it's, it's, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to keep hold of him this summer that's for sure because he is he's, he's going to be hot property and I'd be surprised if he's still playing in the National League just I, I thought he was incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's it, as I say, it's a fantastic record. And, and from Maidenhead's perspective, you know, obviously, as Danilo was saying, it, it did look like they really could be in the mix of the playoffs up until, you know, towards the very end of the season. If Danilo were to move on, is that kind of the price of success? Because as we said, Maidenhead are one of very few clubs who, who aren't fully professional in that league. So to finish mid-table, way, way clear of relegation and as I say, in the mix of the playoffs, is a phenomenal return. But how how difficult would it be to, to keep hold of someone like that? Because ultimately, if, if you're not going up to that next level then there will be clubs looking around thinking, wouldn't mind one of them in my team. It's it's 100% the price to pay if it's the nail on the head. It's the price you pay for, for success at that level. I think the only thing that, that Maidenhead, rightfully so, will, will might feel a bit aggrieved by is the, the the idea that they're not going to make any money from it. You give a player a chance, you put them in the first team. And like I said, they took a gamble on him. And, it, you know, and to not receive any money or, or even if there's a small compensation fee, you know, it, it, it's going to sting Maidenhead a little bit because, you know, you give the player a chance and it doesn't, it doesn't quite pay off for you. But I mean, they'll, they'll be more than happy with, with a 19 goals in 38 games from from Danilo Orsi, and um, I'd, like I said, he's he's a genuinely lovely guy, and um, hopefully he can he can kick on next season, whether that be at Maidenhead or elsewhere. And yeah, um, sorry, Will. Um, so Maidenhead have had many successes picking up promising players from lower divisions. Do you think the the fans at Maidenhead can expect the same going forward? 100%. I think that's the way that, um, as, as Ed touched on, they're one of very few part-time teams in that division. It wasn't always the way. National League clubs quite often before were part-time, but the way football's gone, the way it's gone in the lower leagues, more and more teams are being are, be, are going sort of full-time. That's the only way they're going to draw players. I mean, having a manager like Alan Devonshire obviously helps no end, as, as Danilo mentioned himself, but that's the way they're going to draw players. But I mean, to be honest, it's worked for them really well. I mean, you look at, I mean, I, I was I was having a look at some of Danilo's stats in more detail bef- before the package, and some of the, I mean, two years he spent in the National League South, I think uh, he, he literally only played a handful of games and he had nearly 20 goals over, over two seasons. It was ridiculous. I think one of them he was averaging nearly nearly two goals a game when he was playing for um for East Thurrock, I think it was. But this this is what I mean. I just think he that that's the way to do things. And Alan Devonshire and his team clearly have an eye for picking up these these lower league players and, and giving them a chance. And it's it's not always the way. I mean you look at players like Dan Sparks, played for my beloved Torquay United as well as a few other teams. Um and he, he's a very proven player at this level. So they can attract the proven players. There's no get there's no d- doubt in that. But at the same time the way forward, the way they're going to build squads upon squad upon squad, like they do every year, is by picking up teams, uh, picking up players. Sorry, from those, those lower league teams for sure. Well, you know, Alan Devonshire seems to build really strong sides. It's pretty obvious, but how critical is it for Maidenhead United to keep hold of Alan Devonshire? 
I, I honestly think, and I, I don't, I don't under, undermine the work anyone does at Maidenhead because it's clear that there's a lot of hard work that goes in between all people behind the scenes. But I think, ju- judging by speaking to Danilo, even, even off air, some of the stuff that didn't make it into the package, he is such a key part of the operation that he really is absolutely instrumental. He's, um, he's so important. The way that he, he attracts players, the way he is with players. I mean, you only have to look at his career to see that there's a real draw to go and play for him. There's a, there's a real appeal to go and play for someone like that. So, no, I, th- I think um, that he's, he's 100% um, important to that. And he seems to be, there's a, there's a long-term project going on there, clearly. This isn't, this isn't a short-term fix. He's been building this for a very long time. And all, all I'm going to say is over the next few years, don't be surprised to see Maidenheads, you know, knocking up towards the, towards the upper echelons of the table, for sure. I guess being a West Ham legend that he is, it, it, it's, it's the name that pulls players in, isn't it? Of course. Could, could, it, could any other... Any other manager have done this? Do you think? Not, not with Maidenhead. There's, there's teams that uh, I think play at these, these, you know, these higher budget teams um, up towards the top of the table that can definitely, um, uh, that definitely appeal to these players. But ultimately, there are teams in the national league that have high wage budgets and, and money talks. Even at this level of the game, money talks. Um, but to, to go to a club like Maidenhead, who you know, admittedly don't have that much money, they're a part time team, and still attract the quality of players they're attracting and play the football they are for me, says it all about Alan Devonshire and he is, as a, he's absolutely instrumental to it. So, yeah, no, that's that's definitely uh, what's key to Maidenhead success, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he had real pedigree, didn't he? Certainly as a player and absolutely as a manager as well. We're going to move on very shortly. One thing I did pick up on, though, in that package and, and what I really liked was, was Danilo's attitude when he was talking about standing toe-to-toe with teams who came down to play them and it, it just reminded me Sam you know you and I are both going to be across this as the elder statesman in the room sadly as, as much as we wish we thank were thank you for joining my club it, I mean it's, you. it struck a chord with me with regards to the old Wimbledon in the 1980s mm. this idea of, of you know don't be afraid don't be frightened go and go and let them know that you're not frightened and show teams they're in a game they've certainly done that this season and, and they've turned a few teams over where you wouldn't necessarily have expected that so you know fantastic to have a local team doing so so well and uh, long may the good work continue from Alan Devonshire. Right, it's time to move on. And uh, up next, we've got Maria's package. The soundtrack to life in the Thames Valley. River. Radio. On the web. To the Batmobile. Let's go. On your mobile. Hello. And on Alexa too. River Radio. That's it. Hmm, I pronounce that River Radio, but I'm always working on how I say After nearly a year of being closed to the public due to lockdown, that's the sound you can now expect to regularly hear again at Kingfisher Table Tennis Club in Woodley. The club, based at Bournemouth School, has a huge history in producing national champions and Olympians such as Matthew Side and Alison Bro. It's labelled a rarity in table tennis, being only one of a few 24-hour clubs with every member having their own key. I went down to a session during half-term to check out the setup. Well, I'm here now in the club and all the tables are in use. It's a great sign to see so many people getting back on the table after such a long period of time. And head coach AJ Nike believes the evident dedication of the club's members is often forged at an early age. We have lots of uh, training programs for juniors. Like we have players who have been playing from four to seven and we have started with a new batch. 9 to 10, 30 in the morning, where lots of kin players are coming in. And during the weekends, some players, they almost spend 10 to 12 hours on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, which is good. He also explained to me how it feels to return after lockdown. 
it's great to be back but as you know table tennis is all about repetition 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 so if we don't keep on playing then the players will lose their game and then they end up leaving the sports some of them have left the sports because it was not continuous which is bad but some of them have come strong and they are playing much better one of those players is sahil who's enjoying playing again it's quite fun and it gets you like on your feet so like after lockdown i was like kind of lazy and table tennis it helped me get like more active i want to play for england AJ has high hopes for all the juniors attending the club sessions. I'm hoping that two years down the line, I will have at least two or three national champions from Kingfisher Table Tennis Club. But it's not only the juniors that are happy to be back. I spoke to Liam McTiernan, ranked top 30 in England, who's been playing at the club for over a decade, winning a host of medals in that time. Yeah, so it's been really good to return to table tennis after so long, having not been able to have access to our clubs. And I think in particular, for many players out there, and whether that's social or that's performance, the access to table tennis helps our physical health to actually go out and you know get fit again, but also our mental health. He has a theory for why Kingfisher has managed to produce so many great players. Table tennis in Reading has an excellent structure in terms of the number of clubs, number of schools they're in, uh, the amount of leagues there are. And as a result, because players have access to the best clubs and coaches and that 24-7 venue of Kingfisher, they're able to pull each other up. So if one player improves, other players are able to draw on the expertise of that player and the level in, in general goes up. Liam is now excited being back on the table more often and using this past year to his advantage. I'm really looking forward to getting back to training and to complement that as well, as competitions start to restart, I'm looking forward to playing with my old teams and my old friends at similar competitions and then trying to get to a level that I was pre-COVID-19. And I think that it's a really exciting time as we come out of lockdown because it's given everyone in the table tennis community a chance to reflect on what worked well prior to COVID-19 and what could work better in the future. Well, a really interesting package there from you, Maria, and obviously done by somebody who's got real pedigree in the sport, as we know, and we mentioned in the introduction, Commonwealth medalist. Tell us, Kingfisher was actually your club, wasn't it? So what was it, what was it like going back now? So I think, yeah, as you said, it's only fitting that we start the sports show, well, my out-and-about segment with a table tennis club, because, and especially my table tennis club, such a, a big club in the area, in the Thames Valley area, has produced, as I said in the package, many Olympians, many national champions. But going back, really, it, it's not unfamiliar for me, to be honest. I, I go there quite a lot. I'm often handing back kit that I have that doesn't fit me anymore, stuff like that, giving it to the younger players, really, and just... Yeah, getting back involved, doing some coaching and, yeah, really good friends with, with the chairman and everyone who's there. I'm just, just curious, obviously, because I know it's been such a long time um, since you've been back there. I mean, not even just in that respect, but also back in the training hall for table tennis. I mean, what was that like? What was the atmosphere like to see people back, back doing what they love, especially when it's something that's so close to your heart as well? Yeah, so it was really uh, great to go down during half term, especially because they were running the junior sessions, were running lots of training camps during there. And, and the atmosphere was, as I said, buzzing. I don't know if you could hear it really or do it justice in that package. Behind me, there were all the tables. It's a, it's a full-time venue, six tables up at 
ev- every opportunity basically and they were all fully booked i couldn't i couldn't get on the table um, <laughs> that, what? So, sorry yeah so i did help out a little bit but at the same time um no room yeah. for the commonwealth sorry sorry well, no. well that's kind of what it was they were booked up you didn't, so first come first come service you didn't, you didn't drop the whole do you know who i am yeah. <laughs> definitely oh, not come on you definitely did she did yeah i definitely didn't because i also turned up with no anticipation of playing so i was wearing suit trousers <laughs> which would not have gone down so well but actually i i did get back on i i heard um sahil there i did as a little favour for letting me interview him. He's only 11 years old and dreams to play for England. I let him uh, have a little game against me at the end of his session, which was really nice to get back on the table. But if you think about it, six months ago, last year, all these clubs, all these indoor sports, no one was playing. It was empty. And this is, a, as I said, a 24-hour club. A lot of clubs are leisure centres where they roll up the tables, so sometimes it doesn't feel so empty and eerie. But here's just solely table tennis. So you can imagine going from pretty much nothing and AJ, who we heard spoke as well, just really happy to be back in, happy to see the players that six months ago or in interims have been coming in and playing. So, yeah, I think it was a really nice, really nice for me to get back out there and, and see all those familiar faces again. Maria, so why is the Thames Valley such a hot spot for table tennis? I think it stems from right back, right back. I couldn't tell you the dates, but right back probably 1960s, that sort of time. And and my old coach, who's, who sadly passed away, he was in the in the foundations for the first club, uh, which was on this pretty similar site. That we've changed sites just slightly, but still on uh, Bullmersh School. Um, and it was called Omega to start with the club, and it was just one could only describe it as a shack, really. <laughs> but if you compare it to what it is now, it's now it's a state of the art facility for table tennis players. High spec, high ceilings, perfect flooring, amazing tables. I, I watch videos from back then and. Yeah, that, that's all they had, but it, it was amazing because they had so many keen players and Matthew Side who came through and won, won uh, national titles from the age of 16 and then went on to the Olympics. We don't have many Olympians in, in table tennis, so to have a, a handful of them from one area um, is really, really something special. And I think the legacy just, just carried on. If you get one really good player, two really good pairs, it's a, a snowball effect. And yeah, I came in at a really good time. Um, the setup was great as well, and I had a regional sessions were happening there, and it was right on my doorstep. So, really, it was just spurring each other on. And as we said, with all these packages, the the cricket, the football, it's the social element as well. You don't want to turn up when no one else is playing. Obviously, when you get to a certain level, that's what you have to do. But in those beginning beginning parts of your career in sport, it's all about the friends you make. And I'm still friends with with lots of people. Liam, who you heard there, was just with him in Hastings on the weekend. <laughs> so re- we're really good friends. And yeah, th- those kind of things really help the club and build sort of a, an atmosphere that you want to be part of, a place that you want to be part of. It's interesting when you talk about the facilities, because I've certainly read a book called Bounce, which is written by Matthew Said, where he talks about the development of, of table tennis players in the area and perhaps some of the coincidences that, that led to so many good players. I think in one point, almost living next door to each other in practically one street. I mean, the number of champions that have come from it were, were just extraordinary. Obviously, it's changed. You say Amiga was a shack, and that's exactly what he said as well. And now you hear about it, and it sounds you know, really like a state-of-the-art facility. The head coach, AJ, mentioned he'd like to see some national champions from the club soon. You've played at elite level. From what you saw, can we be expecting that of, of some of the players from Kingfisher? 
So when I was down there, I, I caught up with lots of the young players there and I was speaking to AJ off the record, really, and asking him, what does he think? What does he think? He's putting all these hours in, these training camps there. As he said, 12 to 15 hours a week playing on the table, uh, some of these young players. And, and it is really coming through. I don't think we've actually had a national champion probably aside from me not to be <laughs> boosting my own confidence <laughs> but, but for a few years sorry could you name that again <laughs> I didn't hear it it doesn't help that you sat here wearing the medal in fact, <laughs> but there we go. disclaimer I'm not wearing the medal <laughs> throw me under the bus there again well thank you um, but no um, some young players now the national centre's up in Nottingham a lot of players um, going up there I was up there training myself and a lot of the young Kingfisher players were up there um, part of the youth development squad with Table Tennis England and it was really great and I can see the work that AJ is putting in is, is really coming through with the players um, the, we have one international junior player currently playing for us Anea Patel she's out there um, fighting fighting for England and, and trying to win medals in Europe and yeah she's really coming through and when I can I well, I live, lived away before, but now I'm back trying to practice with her when I can and give her some advice and help the club. And I really think that there's some really strong players and not just strong players now, but there's huge potential in the club. The facilities we have, the training. AJ used to be a, a former international um, Indian coach. So India, used, they won Commonwealth gold and stuff like that. So he really knows the setup from inside some of the best training facilities there are in the world. So for him to come to the club recently, he came just before lockdown, um, is really, really great asset for the area. And I think only, only good things to come. Well, it certainly sounds very exciting and it feels like the building blocks are being put there for future success as well as past success. I do feel the need just quickly to, to weigh in on this debate that seems to be raging in front of me. Maria, to be clear, as we've not got the video up today, is not wearing the medal. But <laughs> Thanks, <Liz. laughs> To be honest, you didn't need to wear the tracksuit. Um, <laughs> I guess. This right. is going to be every week. <laughs> okay, that Pretty wraps much. up. <laughs> that wraps up our coverage for Out and About and we've got something kind of special for you up next. You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. A warm welcome to you if you are just joining us. And if that is the case, then you're just in time because we're now going to get into a hot topic segment where we chat about a sporting story that has taken our interest. And this week, well, there's only one contender. That's right. Euro 2020 postponed last year due to coronavirus begins on Friday as Turkey take on Italy in the opening game. While on Sunday, England will begin their campaign in the tournament when they face Croatia at Wembley. Lots to look forward to, of course, including the first international football tournament to be played in the UK since Euro 96, which sadly Sam and myself are old enough to actually remember happening. <laughs> Plenty to discuss around this one. And we should, of course, begin with Sorry, Gareth Southgate's before team we go selection. On, are we going to have this ageism every week as well? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it earlier on, and I, and I was thinking, what was my favourite ever tournament? And it was Euro '96 because yes, it, it was. was incredible. I was seven years old, and it, it was brilliant. And then I, I was, I was thinking about that. I suddenly thought, two of the people in the room weren't even born when, oh, that, when that happened. Goodness me! But look, loads to discuss <laughs> yes. around around the Euros, and we'll start chronologically, which was the the squad announcement early last week, and and it certainly raised one or two eyebrows, didn't it, Will? Yeah, it did. I mean, I, th- I think you you initially look, and, and there was a big raging debate before, wasn't there? How many right? Who's who's he going to take it right back? Will Wamba Saka get a shout? Um, and you know who will be because you normally only take two or three fullbacks. That's normally sort of normal procedure. So when uh, when we saw it, and there were four right backs in that squad, um, I think I think there was a little bit of shock. There was even more shock when asked about it. Gareth Southgate said he would have taken five or six if he could have done, um, which was just really interesting. But I mean, I, I sort of think his bl- his blushes have been spared a little bit due to the injury of Trent Alexander Arnold. If I'm being completely honest, I think it was a very odd decision to take four right backs. Um, his argument for it, of course, being he picked the 26 strongest footballers in the country uh, and four of them happened to be right backs. I don't think that's how you take a squad to a major tournament. I, I, I think he got it wrong. Um, and I think, like I said, his blushes have been spared by the fact that that um, he, he has picked up an injury and obviously Ben White's now gone in his place. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to say, like like yourself, like a lot of people, I I was slightly bemused and I understand that to some extent he sort of covered himself with the 20 best or 26 best footballers in the country. But for me, as I think I was saying to you off air, it, it felt like it could be his sort of Sven-Goran Eriksson, Theo Walcott moment that would come back to haunt him later on. Sam, you're a Liverpool fan. I am. To what extent do you, do you feel that... Alexander-Arnold would have justified his place. Obviously, a week's a long time in football. He got injured in the first build-up friendly of the two, and now he's not going. But he'd been dropped previously, which is why there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not he'd be included at all. He was, and now he's not going. Would you have taken four right-backs? Would you have taken less? And if you would have gone with less, would he have been one of them? Okay, so Alexander-Arnold had a pretty poor season by his standard. But the last nine games he played, he raised his game after he got dropped. He probably carried Liverpool through to those last nine wins on his own. And I think you've got players like Carl Walker uh, and Trippier. And I think, you know, I'm not quite sure. I mean, Carl Walker's just a speed horse. I don't think he's got the skill set that Trent Arnold has to put the crosses in. I mean... Arnold is David Beckham-esque in his crosses. Now, there was a little hint, though, from Southgate where he talked about putting maybe Trent Arnold in midfield. There was there was that little nugget of info that was coming out of him. And I wonder whether Trent Arnold was going to play in a different role for England, not in the position of right-back. Now, he, you're right, he did say that. And, and he had said it before as well. He'd alluded to it some time ago. He'd mentioned that that he had seen Trent in midfield role. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I actually was involved in an interview with him right towards the end of the season, and that was where he started playing. And he said that the reason he ended up at right-back was because he sat down with the two under-23 coaches, one of whom was Neil Critchley, who's just got Blackpool promoted into the Championship, having moved on from Liverpool under-23s. And genuinely, it's so simple. They looked at it and they said, the quickest pathway to get into the first team was at right-back, because they had Nathaniel Klein. And I think they had one other player whose, whose name escapes me, but is now somewhere like Ross County. And then it was Trent. If he went in midfield, he had 12 people in front of him. And that was the reason. So he had played there before and he had, he had got form with it. Maria, I'll, I'll bring you in here because obviously it's now impossible to escape the Euro build-up and, and everything around it. Is it something that we should all be looking forward to as much as this? Or, or could it be just another England tournament that fails to live up to expectation? Definitely not. It's definitely something that everyone should be looking forward to. It was a rhetorical question. No, I know know what you meant, but at the same time, a year of of 
little to no sport and here we are England England going out and playing and I think the whole build up that as you spoke about Sam the the camaraderie of, of the whole of sport basically and everyone coming together doesn't matter what team you sport doesn't matter where you're from in the country anymore everyone just comes together and builds together and I think I think it's going to be not in just the the football a really great summer of sport and a really great summer of people getting back out there supporting supporting our country and and just going for it and the really interesting thing about this one as well is that it's being held across Europe. Now, this was actually something that was brought up in 2012, and, and, and a lot of people were dead against it. It kind of went against the grain of what we expected from a tournament. But the reason all the way back then was so that one nation did not have to bear the burden of the financial outlay to put on a tournament, which now, obviously in light of what's happened, actually looks rather astute. At the same time, it has given a bit of a competitive advantage to England because they are playing their group games uh, at Wembley. They begin against Croatia at Wembley. They've got Scotland, of course, at Wembley. And the semi-finals and the final are also at Wembley. So if they did get to that late stage, it honestly looks like this could potentially be stacked up in England's favour. Will, any thoughts on that? Do you think it's... Is that a, is that a good thing? Or do you think it, it might, if anything, place too much pressure on them? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's interesting because it's not quite... I mean, although we've made a point of me not being alive for Euro 96, it doesn't seem to quite match the pressure of what Euro 96 was like with the song coming out before. I mean, that's where it's coming home comes from, of course, isn't it? You know, that's where it all sort of stemmed from. I think there was such a tremendous amount of pressure on the idea of it being a home tournament. England will still have to go away and play in another country if, if they want to get to the final. It's as simple as that. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned it to me off air, just because they're at Wembley, although that will, of course, be an advantage, there's no guarantee they're in the home dressing room. And I know that's a very small thing, but if they're in the away dressing room, they're coming out second, the fans are on the other side. You know, do you know what? There's little things, I think, that you have to consider that mean that England aren't necessarily... Uh, it's, it's not as much of a home tournament as you, you perhaps might consider it to be. That being said, I do think if England do get as far as the semi-finals, it 100 percent is our tournament to lose um and and you know it that the idea of that semi-final the the atmosphere around Wembley around the country being in this country opposed to Russia where it was last time I think just builds so much so much anticipation so I think there's certainly a lot to look forward to well everyone you heard it here first our tournament to lose irrespective of what he said other than that that's the clip that'll go viral so you can look forward to Will being in the headlines for some time to come as soon as we crash out at around 16 there we go yeah (laughs) that or the or the finest predictive mind since Paul the Octopus we might have to put a thing it's coming back it's coming back will's predictions coming back (laughs) (laughs) honestly will this as i think we're all appreciating now in real time is the sort of comment that both makes and more often breaks careers well it's been a great run at river radio anyway so (laughs) (laughs) so there we have it and lots to look forward to with regards to the euros and it's almost time to finish the show Right, we're fast approaching the end of our inaugural episode. But before we say goodbye, we've just got time to introduce a weekly feature that I know for a fact our panel have been preparing for. the 
form of a weekly predictions league. Each Monday, a member of the team will pick out a selection of fixtures across sporting disciplines, which is set to take place over the following seven days. All panellists must then submit their score predictions for each event and will be awarded points depending on how close they get. Making a co completely correct prediction will win a player three points. Merely forecasting the correct outcome will get you one. Failure to get either the entire result or simply the winner will, of course, be suitably punished with no points. Each month, we will announce who has topped the table for that period, as well as who needs to pick up their game. And there will be a forfeit for each monthly loser, the completion of which is required in order to participate in next month's game. You can, of course, <laughs> play along at home by tweeting your predictions to at River Radio Live. And this week, it's me who's picked the predictions. And while I was doing it, I don't think I perhaps took into account just how tight <laughs> some of these are. I didn't start easy. There's a maximum of 10 10 points on offer here. So the first fixture we're going to talk about is the Boston Bruins versus the New York Islanders, which takes place tonight at 11.30pm. Now, this is a series of games. It's seven matches between the two. Both of them at this point have won two each. They both won one at home and one away. There's so little between the two. Will, what have you got? So I've gone, uh, I'm sticking my neck out on the line as I seem to be doing through a common theme throughout this show. Um, I've gone for a 4-2 win to the Islanders. Um, I just think the from, from what I gathered from the previous results, um, the Bruins definitely started the series better. The Islanders seem to have picked up their form a little bit. Um, and you know, I quite like New York. So we're going with that. Scientific reasons all. Exactly. Can't, can't dispute that. <laughs> Sam, what do you think? Uh, I have no idea on this other than using Will's theory. I lived in Long Island in New York for a while, so I'm going New York Islanders. New York Islanders. Uh, can we trouble you for a score? Uh, I'm going to go 3-0. 3-0 to New York Islanders. And then Maria, what have you got? Well, I think a little bit like Will. I've done, done a little bit of homework, a little bit of digging there. And yeah, I'm also going with the Islanders to win. Not just because I like New York, but because uh, a betting website told me to. Um, <laughs> Please gamble responsibly. Yeah. And I'm going 4-1 to the Islanders. I need to check out which betting site that was because I've got the exact same logic for why I've gone for the Bruins. So <laughs> I've gone for the Bruins to, to win it 3-2. It's interesting, really, because whilst the Bruins sort of indisputably have the better team and the better roster, to be honest, they've been outplayed in the last three games. I'm, I'm, however, kind of working on the premise that at some point they've actually got to show up. And I'm hoping for the purposes <laughs> of me winning this, if nothing else, it is in this next fixture. Right, up next is the cricket. The T20 Blast starts on Thursday. Sam, we'll pick up with yourself for this one I just need a winner or a loser or rather who you think will win the fixture between Middlesex and Surrey I'm going Middlesex very strongly Middlesex this one okay a any reason behind that one none Excellent. <laughs> right, okay. someone's got to yeah. what worries me about your style of predicting is that when you do win there won't be a pattern to follow no. it's, uh, it's kind of the perfect murder you've seen my horse betting predictions <laughs> and the way I play poker yeah you'll realise I'm really bad at that part. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Maria, what, what are you thinking? I'm going with Surrey. Just a just a spite, um, <laughs> Sam. Really? No, no. I ha I've done a little bit of homework. Cricket, not my my forte, but no, I think Surrey are, are in good shape, and I, I'm, I'm going with Surrey. Can I just point out, I'm the only Indian who doesn't like cricket. <laughs> so, I have a story very quickly. I went to a school of a thousand kids, private school. They, I turned up as the only Indian and the cricket teacher was like, yeah, we've got an Indian, finally. Oh, and I just went, 
Uh, don't like it. Where's the rugby balls? <laughs> I've got to say that that can't have been okay even at the time. To be, <laughs> to be quite honest, and I know that we go well, it's a different age, but come on. Um, okay, Will Middlesex versus Surrey T Twenty Blast kicks off Thursday. Who are you backing? Yeah, I mean T Twenty is pretty much the only cricket I can handle. I mean I, the, the rest of it without being rude it's, it doesn't interest pique my interest too much but I, I can deal with T20 I've gone for Surrey because I think they've just as, as Maria mentioned I just think they're, they're, they're in stronger shape they just look like a better team so yeah I've, I've gone for Surrey for this one Okay, so there are a couple of scientific decisions. Sam, however, has plonked for blind luck and, and we'll see who comes out as the winner. I myself have also gone for Surrey. Lots of good young players came through in the Middlesex section. I'm just not sure they're going to have enough this time around. Right Up next is the rugby. It's Wasps versus Leicester. It takes place on Saturday. So little to choose between these two, which I didn't realise at the time I picked the fixture out. They are sixth and seventh in the league. There is one point between them. They both had patchy form going into this one. Maria, hot potato, catch. <laughs> <laughs> so as uh, as my other two predictions go, I did a little bit of homework, you know, didn't want to look like too much of a plonker on the radio. Um, and I and I have, I, f- I feel like I've got ties to Wasps. I don't know why, I feel like I... Well, I know two two players who play there. Um, they were local Thames Valley, Thames Valley boys. So I'm going with the Wasps to win, and I'm going uh, 35 to 24. Very, very specific. Very interesting. They did get a tremendous win, 39-36 at the weekend. So they're coming into this one with that behind them. And, and a win like that that you don't expect can really give you some momentum. <laughs> Will, you've got a bit of a background. And we were talking about this off air. Oh, and yeah. and oh. let's clarify it now. Because from what I could I deduce, you, do this. you either did or didn't have a season ticket right. to Leicester. And it's not totally <laughs> right. there, clear, there, were, there was no season ticket. Okay, let's let's <laughs> let's get this. You know, I, I went to Leicester Tigers quite a few times when I was younger due to my family, some family members um, who now live in Australia supporting them. So that's why we went to... For some, they, they lived near-ish there. So we used to go and watch Leicester Tigers a fair bit when I was younger. W- watched them at Twickenham against Harlequins once. That's, that's about as far as my memory goes. There was no season ticket. I'd like to stress that. Okay, right. Well, I mean, that's... Then I, then I, then I at least have an answer I knew it was question. coming. I knew <laughs> Has it, has it influenced your prediction to this fix? Massively, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I did not know that Wasps had scored 39 in their last game, if I'm being totally honest. So this prediction now maybe looks a little bit stupid, but we're going to go with it anyway. Um, I've gone uh, <laughs> Wasps 9, so 30 points less than last time out, uh, and Leicester 24. I just think there's a, there's a few genuinely good... I know enough about... Leicester Tigers know there's a few genuinely strong players in there that on their day can turn it on um, and I know they can be quite strong defensively as well so for me I, I don't know much about Wasp but I know what Leicester can do well so I've gone for the Tigers 24-9 Well I've actually done the same thing because I've got it down as Wasp 17 Leicester 26 you've got an affinity with Leicester about which I found out when you've walked in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell I, me a little bit just quickly uh, because we are running out of time Yeah no I, I played under 19's Leicester Tigers so my coach was Chalky White who was uh, the famous Leicester Tigers coach and players at the time were Cusworth, Woodward and Dodge in the centre. So, yeah, Goodness not me. when I was playing with them. No, let me know. <laughs> they were the senior team that I used to watch out for. Uh, clearly, I'm, I'm a massive Leicester Tigers fan. And uh, although they narrowly lost to Bristol Bears at the weekend, I think the Tigers are going to turn it around. They've still got a chance for the playoffs. So I'm going to go 26-12. Okay, there we have it then. Three Leicesters there. And we've just got time for the last fixture to round up our 10-point maximum, which is England v Croatia. We're not going to get too much into this. We've just done it in the Hot Topic section. But, okay, Maria, what do you think? England v Croatia. Uh, I've got to back the boys. I'm going 2-1 England. 
It's going to be a tight one, but I'm going for it. Yeah, I've I put the same. Obviously, we've got to avenge that semi-final <laughs> defeat. And I think the home advantage and an ageing Luka Modric might well play in our favour. Will, what have you got? I've gone for 2-0 very quickly, just because I think... Croatia are going to come out and want to win the game and I think that suits England down to the ground. What doesn't suit England is teams that sit back. So I think England 2-0. OK, and Sam, last I, but not least. Sneaky 1-0. I think we're just going to get it. As long as Henderson doesn't take the penalty, we're in. We're in. <laughs> I mean, obviously that, that did yield some rather uncharitable comments from Roy Keane afterwards, did it not? And we could talk selection all night. Unfortunately, though, we have run out of time. It's been wonderful to have you all here in the studio for our very first show. I must say, have you all enjoyed it? Yeah. Absolutely, Definitely. absolutely. What I really mean by that is, can I expect you back here next week? <laughs> I'm not that sure, Maybe but we'll see. Yeah. Well. Maybe me not that opposite well, but depends I'll how my predictions there. go. I yeah. should have made those contracts more than one one show at a time. But <laughs> it's a rolling contract, and as as has often proven my downfall, I've underestimated the. The, the scale of my objectionable personality. <laughs> Nonetheless, thank you all so much for being here with us today. We really love doing the first sports show. We look forward to doing many more of them. Remember, get your predictions in at River Radio Live on Twitter. Next week, we'll be seeing who won. However, that's it from us for now. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>